Hebner Maris is a world champion boxer, Olympian, sports commentator, and most importantly, dad to two little girls. Beloved by abuelas and hardcore fans alike, Abner is a pro at entertaining the world, both in and out of the ring. On Blue Wire's new podcast, On the Hook with Abner Mayers, we'll hear from Abner, his family, fellow athletes, and other people who made him the boxer and the man that he is. They chat about topics like Abner's journey from a kid on the streets to boxing champ, sports, music, culture, family life, and many others. Listen to the On the Hook with Abner Mayers wherever you get your podcast. Episodes in English are out on Tuesday, and episodes in Spanish are out on Wednesday. Make sure you, again, subscribe to On the Hook with Abner Mayers. All right, welcome in, folks, to the OBR podcast. Hope you're excited for the On the Hook podcast uh, that we talked about just before the music. Uh, but I hope you're excited. Listen, it's Victory Week. I told you what it's going to be like here during Victory Week. And to be honest, we haven't had a lot of experience with it. But it's probably going to be pretty upbeat even during after losses. Because the reality is, is my nature is to find the positives in almost everything, especially sports. Because sports don't matter, but they matter so much. But especially during wins, after wins, Victory Week, we are going to celebrate. We're going to focus on mostly positives. We're going to focus on being excited about covering a team, being excited about being fans of a team. Like, that is the reality of who we are. We are passionate. We are. We love the team, and we're invested in the team. So, um, someone who is always passionate, always uh, all about the love, uh, all about the snark, uh, your guy, <laughs> my guy, the funny guy, Mr. Stephen Thomas. Stephen, how are you doing today, buddy? Living the dream, brother. Living the four-in-one dream. How are you doing? You know, four-in-one almost sounds like I have a fever, uh, and it's a fever dream because it's very confusing, to be honest, to, like, wrap my <laughs> head around. But then I look at the, the standings, and I'm like, man, there are a lot of teams with one loss or no losses and a lot of teams with one win or no wins. And it's I'm just so used to, like – Okay, the Browns are one and three. How can they sneak their way in? Like it's very weird, you know, place to be as as people that have been, you know, connected mm-hmm. to the team for so long. Um, so, Stephen, let's just jump right into it. And so the Browns, um, you know, they win. They get another win. Indianapolis comes into town, twelve thousand fans in attendance, and the Browns. Um, have a really interesting, can almost convincing win. Um, so for you, we're gonna we're gonna pretend like we're back in school or back in youth group times. We're gonna do Rose and Thorn, and since this is Victory Week, we're gonna start with the positives. Stephen, when you think of your Rose, your positive out of uh, Week Five win against the Indianapolis Colts, what is your Rose? I mean, you could go a lot of places with it. Miles, obviously, um, some of the uh, the safety play uh, from guys who haven't got a lot of snaps before this, that's another place you could go. But I think I'm going to go ahead and, and go a little bit off the beaten path and just the same group that's been getting a lot of, uh, of praise lauded upon them on the season. I'm going to give my rose to the, the OL as a whole um, because, you know, they lost Wyatt Teller, <coughs> excuse me, early. And they found a way to mostly neutralize the, the Colts' defensive line, which that is a damn good defensive line. I mean, Buckner was playing at, a, at an all-pro level 
uh, coming in. And he had a good game, don't get me wrong, but, I mean, he didn't make any... He wasn't terrorizing our backfield the way Miles was terrorizing their backfield. And even with Teller, that would have been great. But without him, it's even more impressive. And then when you throw on top of that, um, after the offense kind of... I mean, they still moved the ball and put together some first downs, but they didn't obviously have the same efficiency in the second half as they did in the first half. But when push came to shove, they were able to put together, for the second consecutive week, a four-minute offense you know, just basically just jamming it down their throat and salting the game away. And if they could continue to do that, if they, if they can continue to do two things, there's so many little things that they're doing better this year than they have in the years past, and they're going to be discussed ad nauseum all over the place. But the two biggest things, I think, controlling the last two minutes before the first half and scoring, which they've been on the opposite end of that almost 16 weeks for a year for as long as I can remember. They've, they've been dominating the last two minutes of the half. And if they can put together these four-minute drives in the middle to the middle back half of the fourth quarter against tiring defenses, they're going to win a lot of football games this year, way more than we're used to. So, yeah, if I had to, uh, to hand out just one, I would give it to the offensive line as a whole because they continue to just be the most impressive position group on the entire team. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Jake Burns, uh, our buddy, uh, posted on Twitter something along the lines that uh, the Colts' uh, pass rush is one of the most impressive that he has seen on film in a long time. And so that that's saying something, right? You didn't see a player dominate like you talked about with Miles Garrett. Uh, I saw a stat that uh, Miles Garrett has had 33 pressures. We are in week five, dude. Has had ridiculous. 33. Like, 33 pressures in a season feels like a decent or good number. I haven't done any research on it, but good gracious, 33 pressures. If he keeps anywhere near that, he's getting 100, man, 100 pressures in a flipping season. And we know his pressures have turned into, I don't know, a safety last week, uh, interceptions, fumble, fumble recoveries, all of that, including uh, all of his sacks. I believe he's at eight after five games right now. And so there's, it's just ridiculous. And eight so, turnovers, I think I heard during the broadcast. He's caused eight turnovers. Uh, that sounds about right. And then force interceptions and everything. That's, I mean, that's just insane. I mean, 30, 33 pre- That's I mean, that's like an hour on a weekend for a married couple at Home Depot. But <laughs> in football terms, 33 pressures in five games is just – it's ridiculous. I mean, it's just – it's off the charts. So, crazy, yeah, yeah. He, he, he needed to pay rent in the Colts' backfield – uh, yesterday, they triple teamed him a couple times, and he still pushed his way into Rivers' lap. Now, granted, I mean Philip Rivers, he was never the most mobile, and he's even less mobile now. So he's a kind of a stationary target as far as pass rush goes. It's not like you have to, you know, maintain as much lane discipline as you would against a Mahomes or a Lamar or, or even a Ben Roethlisberger coming up, who's you know still still has pocket maneuverability skills. But even with that. I, I, it's it's ludicrous how well Miles Garrett is playing so far this year. Absolutely, and then he, obviously you talked about the offensive line. Just a lot of good there with Chris Hubbard coming in. Um, it wasn't you know the, again a lot of times we forget that the other team plays as well, right? And right. so um, <laughs> the Browns' offensive line it, it could have been Wyatt Teller, and it could have been the fact that the you know DeForest Bunkner is worth a hundred million dollars as well himself. And so you look at the two almost 100 – I think he's almost $100 million. You look at the two stud defensive linemen, and the Browns guy did amazing and the Colts guy didn't. And you've got to give a lot of credit to the offensive line. And that's something we're going to celebrate. Listen, we 
love offensive line play. We love defensive line play. That stuff is really fun to watch. And I'll tell you what, and this is me um, hawking our stuff on the site for sure, but it's also just fun to watch is Jake broke down that Dearness Johnson 19-yard run and just how everything worked together and what the Browns did there. And I'll tell you what, like when I get to read Jake's stuff, I'm just like, holy crap, like that guy sees the game and can slow it down and teach me about it in ways that that I can't even imagine. Like I look at the play and go, oh, good blocking, right, or this is cool, or <laughs> that's nice. Look at Higgins come in for a crackback. But all the little details, the little arrows, the little all that stuff's really fun to watch. And so it was, it was good to see that a really good to great defensive line was some level, uh, except for, you know, when they should have called uh, the, you know, offsides unabated to the quarterback and said Baker got hit. Um, you know, in general, the offensive line played really well, and I think that's a great rose. So now we go to the flip side, and we, we are not homers. We're not just going to focus only on the positives. We know there's a lot to improve on. Baker even talked about it, that he's much he would much rather learn from uh, learn during wins than learn from losses. So, um, Stephen, when you think of your thorn, something that you didn't like or something that worries you or something that's pricking you in the side, what is your thorn after week five? I'm going to go ahead and, again, as is my custom, go off the beaten path. I mean, you could obviously you could say, you know, the linebacking group or the back seven or anything like that because they – you know, they continue to give up, you know, huge plays down the middle. But I'm going to go with uh, just the injury bug in general is really starting to tick me off. Now, they're in better shape than – there's a lot of teams around the league that have multiple guys lost for the season, like major injuries going out there. And uh, for the most part, outside of, you know, Grant Delpit, it's dings and, and snags and, and that kind of stuff. But – they're testing the limits of the depth that they built up this offseason. We all lauded them, rightfully so, for the first time, having depth uh, that they can lean back on so they're not running guys like you and me out there when <laughs> one person gets injured, you know. Uh, but, I mean, how, how much deeper can it go? I mean, I, I mean, Jacob Phillips comes back and he hurts himself again. Ronnie Harrison finally gets some meaningful snaps, plays well, Big pick six. I haven't seen his grades or anything, but I'm assuming it, you know, it was at least pretty good. He gets a concussion. Uh, Teller goes down. Greedy's to IR now. Um, you know, hopefully Larry can come back. Uh, Vernon t- tweaked his groin again. Hopefully he can come back because they're going to need to be, they're going to need to be at full strength. This is not a good matchup on paper. This is a very bad matchup coming up on Sunday uh, for us. But it's really starting to get to the point where how much, I mean, and you throw Nick Chubb on top of it and everything else, how much more can they take, really? I mean, how, how much more can they run second and third team guys out there and the scheme can cover it? Um, there's some teams on the schedule that they might be able to do it. I don't think this one coming up is one of them. And then, you know, the Raiders in a couple of weeks, there's some good teams coming up. Uh, on the on the docket here uh, in the next uh, month or two, hopefully they're back at full strength. But it's it's starting to get to the point where there's too many holes in the dike and you only have ten fingers. Uh, so hopefully some of these guys can start coming back and contributing on a more consistent basis. You heard it here, folks. The injury bug is a little prick in Steven's side. Uh, and and something about putting your fingers in a dike before it blows something. I don't know where he was going with it, but he went with it. I do think the thing to celebrate out of all of that is two of the veterans that many people expected Andrew Barry to get rid of, trade, 
let go of were Chris Hubbard and Terrence Mitchell. Those were two guys that a lot of people thought, okay, Chris Hubbard, obviously he got him to restructure, which is a thing. Like, that's not that's not something that is real easy to do all the time, especially on an offensive line where, you know, there's just no offensive line talent in the NFL. And if we assume Nick Harris could be a good center, the Browns might right now have seven players who can be serviceable in the system, in the scheme that they're using. And then Terrence Mitchell, a lot of people thought would get traded away um, because Denzel Ward, Kevin Johnson, Greedy Williams, you know, there was, uh, you know, even signing A.J. Green to the practice squad. There were just some players on in the secondary that Terrence Mitchell seemed like on the last year of his contract, he might be the odd man out. And he's been starting the whole time. So I think we have to give credit. Yeah, and balling out, right? Like, we have to give credit to Andrew Barry for keeping um, – you know, keeping those two guys and keeping some level of depth. And it's funny to say that Chris Hubbard is a quality, possibly even starter in this system based on what we saw last year. Because I'm pretty sure if I did Rosenthorn with you last year, you'd be fighting between Chris Hubbard and uh, Greg Robinson for mm-hmm. a lot of those weeks. But different systems, we're seeing what coaching does. Um, one of the things I talked mm-hmm. about yesterday is I, I feel like Kevin Stefanski just really cares about getting first downs. Right, and that's really his his priority is, you know, he's thinking clearly. Let's get a first down, and then we'll figure out, you know, what we can do with that next set of downs, as opposed to going for thirty yard um, completions on third and two or third and three, third and one, fourth and one, those kind of things. So you see what coaching does for a player like Chris Hubbard. So that is a uh, a perfect thorn for Mr. Stephen Thomas. Before we move forward just a little bit, <coughs> excuse me. We're going to talk about Indeed. Even though sports had a break, your business didn't. You have to keep moving, and that makes hiring more important than ever. Indeed is here to help. Indeed.com is the number one job site in the world because Indeed gets you the best people fast. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. Uh, I'm just going to put off a little side note. If you're looking for a comedian or an actor, his name is Stephen Thomas. Please give him a call. Uh, he'll, you can find him. Um, but with Indeed, you only pay what you for what you need. You can pause your account at any time. Uh, especially after you find Stephen, um, and there are no long-term contracts. Plus, Indeed provides powerful tools to make your search that much easier, like sponsored jobs, where you, which are shown to be three and a half times more likely to result in a hire, or you can just hire Stephen and make it guaranteed. With 73% of online job seekers visiting Indeed each month, Indeed is going to get you the important hire you need, just like they have for over 3 million businesses. By the way, if you're a business that wants to pay either of us like a mil, mil and a half a year, pretty sure you can find us pretty quickly and know how to get a hold of Jared Mueller or Stephen Thomas. But right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. If you don't know how the Internet works, that BlueWire must be all one word. If you put a space there, you're going to get an error. Don't do that. Terms and conditions apply. Offer valid through December 31st. So, Stephen, we're moving on from the Week 5 win. The Cleveland Browns are 4-1. and one. We're not going to move on from that all week long. But, um, listen, I'm going to be really honest. I don't have a clue what games have been played in college. Um, I have, I just haven't been able to focus on that for a variety of reasons. So for the folks who, like me, haven't been able to really pay attention 
Is there anything that sticks out to you from the college season so far, either teams, players, uh, injuries, anything that as you look forward to the draft, which is probably forever away at this point in time, uh, that sticks out to you so far in whatever has happened in the college season? Um, two things as far as, you know, the 10,000-foot view uh, at this point of the draft season, a draft cycle stick out to me. One, it's been just sort of as odd, if not more odd, than the NFL season and that the defenses across college, for the most part, really seem to be struggling. Um, and if you remember back in the off season, we all said, you know, I mean, general wisdom is, you know, the defenses are ahead of the off season or ahead of the offenses when things start. The defenses are always ahead, um, you know, in the preseason and the early weeks of the year, and then the offenses catch up. And so we, with the COVID situation, limiting the number of practices and everything else, we all just assumed that that would be the case. And wow, have we been wrong. It's been like completely the opposite. And it's been the same in college, too. You look at some of the guys, you know, like Joseph Asai, uh, the edge rusher from Texas that, you know, a lot of Browns Twitter, uh, we've all been sort of excited about him since very, very early in the offseason. And you, you read and you look, he's had, a, he's had good games, he's got good tape, he's got good plays out there, but then you look and Texas has given up 87 points a game or something like that. You know, <laughs> so it's, there's a lot of defensive guys out there that are putting up some good reps and, you know, are, are showing their skill sets and all that kind of stuff. And so from that perspective, they're doing what they individually need to do. At least it's, it's very early. So at this early point, that's what you really want to do from a draft perspective. But their defense, their team, is not getting it done as a unit, at least not yet. I mean, look at that Alabama game. When was the last time Alabama was in a – what was the final, 63-48 or something? Whatever it ended up being, I mean – that, that's a Big 12 game right there. That's, that's not an SEC game. And even Bama's given up, you know, 50 points a game. So it's, it's sort of strange at, from that perspective. But as we said uh, in the offseason and so far the early games of who had, at least who's been playing so far, you know, half the country isn't playing yet, the one thing that sticks out to me is much like last year, this year's draft class appears to match up rather well with the needs and holes on the Browns roster. We, re- If you've been following my weekly mock drafts, and I'm not the only one, everybody else is basically falling the same way. When you do a Browns mock draft, there's 10 picks, eight of them are defense, at least. You know, I mean, the first four or five are all, there's no, there's nobody there's no room for a starter level, a day one or day two guy, really, on the offense that you can use that kind of draft capital. Now, obviously, you know, some tremendous value drops in your lap or whatever. You've got to take somebody like that. But it, it, it certainly appears that safety, linebacker, edge rusher, interior defensive line, if they don't sign some of the guys whose contracts are up this year, even cornerback, you name it, on the defensive side of the ball, there's a bunch of them. And they seem to fit the system, and they're, some of them are going to be available at the values where the Browns will be picking. So, I mean, again, it's October, a lot of ball game until April. Who knows what could change between now and then? Uh, trade deadline could change a lot of stuff. Free agency could change a lot of stuff. They could end up with four picks. I, who knows? But as it sits at this moment, the thing that sticks out to me the most is uh, you go through the simulators and everything. You're into the, the, the fourth-round picks, and you're still seeing guys that pop up and you go, well, crap, there's four guys here that make sense. 
you know, at, at four different positions. It's not like you're searching, you know, and reaching. There, there's guys there at positions of need that will fit the value, fit the system, and, and are putting up good reps and good tape to this point. They could come in and, if not start, at least contribute pretty much right away. And there's a lot of holes on that defense with the, that they're going to need to fill before next year if they really want their window to begin in earnest, which I think it can. Yeah, so I think what we what Stephen is telling us, folks, is you're going to see people who are listen. I don't. I try not to be too judgmental. I have a little bit of that in me because I really get frustrated when you can listen to um, you know the Jake Burns and Stephen Thomases of the world, and instead you listen to the morons of the world. And so you're going to hear some morons of the world say, "Well, this defender can't be good because his defense gave up 45 points a game." So you're going to hear that, and I'm just going to tell you now. That's a moronic reason to think someone is not good because their defense gave up blank points. That is one defender out of 11 plus however many subs come in that can make only so much of an impact, right? And so that's, that is just something you'll know they're a moron if. Okay, we should start that as a thing. Like, there are moron if. Like, we could do a cooler thread on that, Stephen. That I think would blow up the internet. You're a moron if you say this. Um, if you say four three versus three four, it's all nickel, champ. Um, but you're gonna hear people say that, and they're 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 uh, they're not very. They're just not. They're not following the right people. They're not following Stephen. They're not following Jake. They're not following Fred. They're not following Jonathan, Johnny. Cody, good gracious, we have an amazing team at theoveer.com. Goodness, we have some awesome guys. Uh, but then obviously it sounds like the draft will be set up well for the Browns. Before I get into my last question, which could might go long, might go short, um, probably want to leave it more towards the short. I know you just posted something up on the site with your really, really cool logo um, and Miles Garrett, I think, hitting Philip Rivers as the picture. Um, tell us a little bit about the article that you just posted. Give people a little amuse-bouche before they read your full article. Well, one of the things that uh, that I've been doing over at the OBR is uh, a weekly wrap-up on Monday. You know, look back at, at the game and how more from an emotional standpoint, you know, more how Brown's Twitter and Brown's media has reacted and what it can all mean from a, you know, a 10,000-foot view uh, angle. You know, I, like you said, Jake and Johnny and John and those guys, they break down the nuance and the technique and the tiny little details better than I could ever hope to. But I look at things and I try to just, you know, hey, everybody calm down about this. It's okay and here's why and this and that and everything. And this one is uh, it's pretty much uh, uh, looking at the reasons why they've won four in a row and one that's not getting talked about. And uh, you might be interested to see uh, what it is uh, when you get there because uh, – let me put it this way. I missed the first game tweeting in-game from the main OBR account. I wasn't he, around, he puts that in but quotes. I've been there for the he last four. It. <laughs> yeah. Um, but since I took over tweeting in-game, they are 4-0, and oh, and I really don't think I'm getting enough credit for that. So if you want to send me money or, uh, or, or you know, you know uh, chicks or whatever, just uh, you know where to find me. I'm, uh, uh, but, uh, yeah, go check it out on the OBR. It's a fun thing. <laughs> yeah, the other thing's up on the OBR. Fred keeps us up to date on some of the injuries with Greedy Williams going on IR and some other injury updates. That film room I talked about uh, from Jake on the Dearness Johnson uh, fourth quarter run is is just immaculate. And to think that he had that thing out, you know, uh, sometime on Monday, I think it was like 1130 
on Monday after a 4 o'clock game that got done at 7-something last night. And the amount of details in that, you've got to read that. Uh, I had to up talking about Kevin Stefanski and how he's exceeding expectations. And I, I basically look at uh, the other rookie coaches and how Stefanski's at the top of the board of those, but also looking at all of the other one and zero win, or sorry, one and zero lost teams, and the fact that Kevin Stefanski is the one of these things is not like the other in a lot of ways there, uh, including the fact that his name has five letters. And every other one of those coaches has four, and it's the dumbest possible thing you could possibly have noted, but that's what I noted from that, and I don't know why. It's just one of those things when I see random things, they stick in my head. So, Stephen, the thing I sent you um, that I wanted to at least get some thoughts from you, and I'll obviously chime in at the end, is we have been a part of rooting for, covering, whatever, uh, a, a bad team for very, very long. Um, that is just what we're used to. And there's stress that comes with that. There's there's emotions that come with that. Um, and now it's a team that we're starting to expect that they should win games or could win games and all of that stuff. So for you, is it more stressful? Is it more negative? Is it more what? Let's go with stressful to cover and to root for a team who is expected to lose and and did, or now a team that is expecting to at least compete or win, and is and is giving us little bits of heart attacks in the middle of at least the, you know pretty much all of the games have had little pieces where you're like oh wait oh which one has been more stressful for you what's that experience been like for you covering a team that you kind of expect to win uh and my answer is the same as it has been as this discussion has come up over the last five years it is easier to watch and cover a team that sucks it is far more stressful uh for and more fun to cover a team like this i because you know uh, since the return, the younger generation of fans have had virtually nothing to work to, to root for. And I look at my life, you know, I make a lot of jokes about being old, but I remember all the way back to Red Ride 88 and through the Bernie, I remember them vividly and how much fun it was and everything else. And yes, there was a lot of heartache, but at least I had the wins. At least I had, I mean, they were right there and it was a ton of fun and it was wild and it was, God, I hope the younger fans get to experience that because it was so much fun. But it's definitely more stressful. I mean, yeah, the one in thirty, the one in thirty-one sucked. I mean, uh, there's no two ways about it. It sucked in so many ways. But was there any stress? I mean, really, did you did you go into every game thinking they were going to win? No. Fourteen games a year, you knew they were going to lose, and then there was two games that you thought they might be able to pull it out. But then, as soon as it was over, you you bitch for five minutes, and then you were done. It, it was so much easier, okay? Uh, but you know, like especially the last couple of weeks, the Dallas and the Indy games, it reminds me so much uh, of those teams in the '80s. And I was such a younger man then. I I can't handle it like this anymore. <laughs> But like I said, the flip side of that is this, as, as stressful as it is, is way more fun. Way more fun. I mean, in-game Twitter itself, that, which is a tiny little segment of, of the, the entire experience, by the third quarter of the last five years, we've been devolved into arguing with each other about whose fault this one is and draft talk. And that, that's it. And now we're talking about the game. We're, it's Monday, and we're still... T- it's Tuesday, and we're still talking about the game. I mean... For the last 20 years, they have basically had to play, the talent discrepancy has been, they've had to play a, almost a perfect game 
to win. And even sometimes, if they did, that wasn't enough. Okay, now, as we saw yesterday, they can play okay. I mean, they didn't play great yesterday. They played okay. They played well. Uh, but they beat a quality opponent by nine points. Okay, and if not for the the special teams gaffe, they could have run away with the game. So, how is that not more fun? How I mean, how is it right. not more fun to be able to ex- almost expect to win? If if Cleveland fans can use the words expect to win, I don't know that we're there yet, but you can almost expect to win without playing your best, down as many injuries as we talked about earlier, and with as many holes in the defensive side as they have continued to show it, but you, you still expect to win rather than, oh my God, uh, Kaiser has to play the game of his life and maybe they can squeak one out if they can if the other <laughs> team misses a couple field goals. You know what I mean? I, it's, it's far more stressful, but as is the case in a huge portion of life itself, the more stress, the more fun. So take that as what you will, long-winded answer to what I'm sure you thought was a very simple question. But, um, <laughs> Yeah, it's, and there's no simple that. questions to Stephen Thomas, that's nope. for sure. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think what's interesting is, you know, even my wife is um, used to asking the or making the statement when she sees that they're losing. She won't even ask, or she hasn't over the years. She'll just pop her head in and look at the score. And then she'll look at me and she'll say, well, they're playing for draft picks or better draft mm-hmm. picks or, <laughs> you know, some, some statement around that. And so, um, you know, I think you're right. Um you know, contrast is such an interesting thing in the human brain, and it's actually one of the things why late night TV, if if whatever show you're watching is set at night and dark, the first commercial you see is very, very bright. It's to set up contrast because your brain reacts to contrast very well. Um, if you're looking at a picture, the point at which there's the most contrast actually draws your eye first. And the same thing when you talk about stress and joy and, and all of that is, you know, it's that old Rob Bass song, joy and pain, sunshine and rain. Like, sorry, I'll never do that again. Um, but there's, there, there is a lot of that to, to be said is that it is much more stressful, to be honest, to care all the way through. Four, mm-hmm. I've had 16 quarters straight to care. I haven't had 16 quarters in most seasons yes. that I've actually cared about, but I've had 16 straight quarters and just a little nugget of information out of the article that I posted today. Um, in the last four games, the Cleveland Browns have outscored opponents by 39 points. Oof. Unfortunately, the 32-point defeat to the Ravens means their point differential on the season is only seven, but it's still positive seven, but 39 points in the last four games. So you average that out, they are basically outscoring the teams by 10 points. So what's really funny about Browns fans is this. They have averaged almost 10-point victories for four straight weeks. Again, average, and yet we still have stressed out like it's the freak that's one-point nail biters. And so, Stephen, I agree with you. I think the stress um, can lead to the joy. One of the things I hope Browns fans don't experience is the experience I had uh, when the Cavs finally won. Um, LeBron and the drama of covering 82 games plus all the playoffs. Um, I can tell you that I was in the Quicken Loans Arena for the watch party and covering it as a part of media. And while there was a lot of joy, there was also a ton of just relief. It was almost like 
you know, all this weight, not only the weight of 54 years, but just this weight of all the drama and the stress of the season uh, that was lifted off of so many people. So, honestly, I hope Browns fans don't have that experience. I hope they get the stress and the joy. Uh, and that is where uh, we want to finish up for today's podcast. Um, before, at the like I, we've done for a while now, um, we're going to talk about bet online because the wait is finally over. Football is back, and not only is it back, Cleveland Browns football is back four and one, folks. You might not be at a game this year. Some of you are getting there, uh, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season, from game spreads and totals to team and player and coaching props. Hey, give some props to Kevin Stefanski. Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today. Listen, that's going to end soon, uh, and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day. Every day, head to Bet Online today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use promo code BlueWire at BetOnline.ag. That's BlueWire, all one word. Bet Online, your online sports book expert. Stephen, my man, thank you so much for coming on Tuesday, October thirteenth. Man, I appreciate it. Always fun to come on after a victory, my friend. Let's hope we're doing it again next week. Sounds good. The squealers don't know what's coming for them, uh, folks. Uh, please make sure, listen, I'm just going to be real blunt, wear your freaking mask, be socially distant. That is how you take care of yourself. But more importantly, regularly, please, 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 please think about how you can take care of other people by your actions. Take care of yourself, take care of others, and go Browns.